Well, we are in this second week of Advent, and uh, as Kayla mentioned, we are beginning a whole year emphasis. The the church year begins with Advent, and um, we're calling it a year for hope, a year for hope, uh, in which we will be dealing each week with what they call the lectionary text, and lectionary just means what's read, and it's four different parts of Scripture, a psalm, an Old Testament reading, a gospel reading that we uh, just heard, and then an epistle reading as well. And so the sermons will generally uh, revolve around those. But in these four weeks of Advent, um, uh, it, it is the Christmas season, but Advent is also the season of, of, of waiting, and it's identifying with the longing that Israel had for hundreds of years, longing for the Messiah to come. And it's also a time of looking ahead to the second coming of Christ. In Matthew 3, the gospel uh, that Diane just read, John the Baptist is preparing those who are waiting, and he's speaking some words of justice. He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and saying, you know, things are not all right, and justice means putting things right, and things are going to happen, and uh, it's going to change. But we're going to work mainly this morning uh, with the Old Testament text, and that is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Let me read. You can follow on the screen. You can also open up your Bible. Remember that once the screen's gone, you don't have it in front of you anymore, so that We still use Bibles here, by the way, just so you know, okay? So, Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like a theox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. This wonderful, familiar Isaiah text. We often read this in the Advent season. This beautiful image of hope and this clear connection to David and his father Jesse. It's obvious here to anybody uh, that, that is familiar with the Old Testament and to the people of Israel that this was a prophecy of the Messiah to come. He would come from the line of David. And his would be a reign or will be a reign of righteousness and justice. And then as he speaks of justice, Isaiah, and then he moves to these very peaceful images that we we love, and we've seen pictures of the lion and the lamb laying down together, of children playing with poisonous snakes and not being harmed. A time in the future when what? It will be shalom. And what is shalom? All as it should be. All as it should be. Where there's no devouring or ferocious beast There is no violence. There is no warfare. All is well. As I was working on this idea, I was thinking about how sometimes we use that phrase, you know, everything will turn out okay. 
And sometimes when we're in the midst of something difficult, we sort of try to comfort ourselves and we say it. We're not always sure we completely believe it. We say, you know, everything's going to turn out okay. And as I thought about that, my mind went back to a a movie uh, of a few years back and a quote that I just loved. The movie was Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Anybody see that movie? Yeah, it was, uh, it was based in India. There was a bunch of English or British pensioners who uh, realized their money could go farther in their retirement years by living in India, and they bought this pitch of this beautiful place to live, and as they get there, they find out that it was not nearly uh, what it was cracked up to be, but their relationships develop, and it's, it's, it's a great movie. But the hotel manager is played by uh, Dev Patel, the Indian actor. He's the one that became famous in Slumdog Millionaire. And Dev Patel is this very positive, upbeat hotel manager that continues to uh, um, uh, encourage these people. And he has this phrase that he says. He says, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. (laughs) Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not yet the end. As I reflected on that this week, I thought, how applicable to the season of Advent. (laughs) At Advent, we look ahead and we say everything will be all right in the end. But we're reminded that we are not at the end and things are not all right. The first coming of Christ answered much of it and began this process that will be consummated when he comes again. But it's not yet the very end. And so in the middle of this, there seems to be not just a waiting, but there seems to be this nudge or this call from Scripture to some kind of action. Waiting, come Lord Jesus, but ours is, is not a passive waiting. Ours is not just a reflecting on the truth and waiting for things to turn out all right. But ours is a waiting that's marked by compassionate action. Or as we call it at Naperville Covenant, making a kingdom difference. And it's not just a phrase. It's not just a hashtag. It is a hashtag, by the way. You can check your Twitter feed. But it's more than that. It speaks of making it, helping the kingdom get bigger and making the kingdom, even now on earth, more righteous and just as we work with the king, waiting for everything to turn out all right in the end. It's an act of waiting, of pursuing of justice and of peace. And so this is what we're saying this morning, that in this year for hope, which we're in, Advent calls us to a season of waiting, not just waiting for Christmas, but looking ahead to the perfect reign of Christ, marked by justice, righteousness, and reconciliation. Come, Lord Jesus, we say. Ours is an act of waiting, making a kingdom difference as we pursue justice and peace. And so I've woven my three points today around the parts of that quote from the movie, We first of all look at the messianic hope when everything will be all right in the end. But we also talk a little bit this morning about what it means to be in an act of waiting when it's not all right. And then finally, as we prepare to come to the table, we'll be reminded how to stay connected to Jesus. Where he said, keep doing this Lord's Supper until I come again. And what happens when he comes again? Everything's all right. Everything will be all right. Let's look first at this messianic hope. We're reminded that the time of the prophet Isaiah was a time of desperate hope for Israel. This was the time of the divided kingdom. If you remember your Old Testament history, if you've never taken Old Testament history, trust me, it was not a good time for the people of God. This little tiny nation had been under two, three, united under three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, and had split and was a divided kingdom for hundreds of years. And it was increasingly a time of disobedience and a time of the people uh, ignoring God and doing their own thing, if you can imagine, in a culture these days. <laughs> and so the prophets were mostly active during this period, the prophets that we read in the Bible. 
The prophets were calling people back to God. They weren't just predicting the future. They were also speaking to the people where they were and trying to bring them back to God and kept threatening the punishment and the judgment that God would bring. And God did bring that. Northern kingdom of Israel was subdued and completely destroyed by the Assyrian nation, never to return again. The nation was wiped out and the people of the northern kingdom were scattered. And even to this day, the tribes that were in the northern kingdom in 700 B.C. are scattered around the world, destroyed The southern kingdom of Judah hung on a little bit longer. They had a couple good kings mixed in with several bad kings. But eventually they were were taken down by the Assyrians and then taken off to exile by the Babylonians. Not just conquered, but actually removed from their land and taken to Babylon. That's the culture that Isaiah is speaking into. That's who Isaiah writes to during this great decline. And he sees all of this coming, and it's lots of doom and gloom. But even in the midst of this doom and gloom, there is this expression, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. And even that implies destruction, doesn't it? The kingdom of God will be ripped all the way down to the ground. All this lovely foliage, this great tree that God has grown, will be cut off at the ground. But there's a little bit of life in it. And a shoot will come up from that dark and ugly stump. What's left of King David is barely a stump, all but lifeless, but there's hope in this little shoot, this root of Jesse, who is David's dad, a new king. And then the text moves on to speak of the character of this Messiah, both here in Isaiah 11, and we catch some of it in the psalm that we read, that John and Margaret read for us responsively. We catch some of the character of this Messiah, this one described as king here, and also, as I said in the psalm, first of all, one who is filled with the Spirit, one who, gives, uh, who has wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It says that this one will have the fear of the Lord, and that speaks of his high moral character. You see, none of the rulers of Israel were like that in the time of Isaiah. Nobody could be said to have high moral character among any of the kings that they had had. They didn't even know what that was. Character issues were a constant theme that they almost resigned themselves to. Character issues with government leaders, if you can imagine... It's been part of what's added to the uncertainty and anxiety around our recent election or recent elections. In different ways with both candidates, raising questions then, we've asked questions of how much does moral character matter if we can just simply get the job done and get things fixed. I'm not going to answer that question, but you know the question. And it's, and it's, and it's, we struggle with it as followers of Christ who believe that moral character is important in a leader. We are in the imperfect, not yet world right now. Everything is not all right, and part of it is a struggle with the kind of earthly leaders we have, and that's the struggle they had. And so Isaiah puts forth this this vision, this image, this reality of what this Messiah would be, that he would be the one of perfect moral character. The hope for Israel was in this one that they could trust and in this character. And he would bring then, thirdly here, this reign of justice and peace. We have in these verses the, quote, making things right of God. That's what justice is. Sometimes we get confused with justice and we think social justice and it's opposed to biblical justice. No, justice is a God thing. God wants to make all things right. And as it addresses some of the systems of our world, we sometimes get a little uncomfortable because some of those systems work for us, actually. But God is about the business of making things right. 
And we hear as often in Scripture the special place of the poor in this text. Those who are poor due to economic injustices. Those who are poor due to uh, being conquered by others. Those who are, are, are poor due to oppression. Those who are poor because of discrimination around uh, ethnic issues. Those who are poor because they've been pushed to the edges and even in that culture because illness and disease. And here it speaks of the Messiah coming in and they will be lifted up. Their dignity will be restored. And yes, even these who are failing on the edges will have human flourishing in this kingdom. And then in this, quote, everything will be all right in the end world, these beautiful images in verses 6 through 9 of children playing safely with ferocious animals, natural predators hanging out together as friends, no harm, no destruction. But more important than the animals here is the reconciliation of the nations that is mentioned as well. Verse 10 again says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the prophets. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. When we hear banner in Scripture, it means people are gathered around the one who is the banner and will be the banner. And here is this gathering of all the nations around this king, this Messiah. A key part of the quote, everything being all right in the end, is the gathering of all nations, the reconciling of all nations and all people groups. The New Testament sees the beginning of this even in the, in the ministry of Jesus. In the Gentile inclusion is a key part of the beginning of God's reconciliation of all people. This has been a Jewish ministry and even it's a Jewish gospel at first with Jesus, but then there is all the way, it, it's mentioned different place in the gospel and then the Apostle Paul fleshes out and God calls him to, uh, to initiate the Gentile inclusion. All people will be people of God. But the most stirring vision of this comes at the, near the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. The Apostle John, as he has this incredible vision, sees this. And he writes it down and says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every nation, tribe, language, and nation, and people standing before the Lord, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, rallying them all together. Will ethnic strife and racism ever end in this age? It is so complex. It is so painful. It is so charged with anxiety and even anger. It's part of what is not right now, but will be all right in the end. And there is this great hope, but is there anything now, anything that can be done now? We wait, but we do not wait passively. We pursue, we said it as a church, we pursue Christ's priorities now in the midst of the not all right. Everything will be all right in the end, and yet it's not all right, and it's not yet the end. And so we're called to an active waiting in the not all right age. Obviously, we don't have time to develop these three points that I have coming up here. These are sermon series in their own, but I just want to mention them quickly. 
To summarize, they summarize for me what really are the priorities of Jesus in this time of active waiting and kingdom work, of helping the hurting, finding the lost, and healing divisions. Help God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. We say that often. So we know that people need the gospel and good news of Jesus, and they also need to have their deep needs for justice and compassion met at the same time. And so that drives much of the ministry that we do. Helping the hurting is a, it speaks of the ministries of compassion and justice. Jesus claimed Isaiah 61 in a sense as his, uh, his purpose statement. Jesus got up in front of the people in Luke chapter 4, it's recording, he quotes Isaiah 61. And it overlaps what it's said about him here in Isaiah 11. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. In Jesus' words, then, as he describes his purpose and aligns it with the prophetic, uh, the prophecy in Isaiah 61, there's compassion here for those in need. Jesus here lifts up again the poor and the blind. Part of our act of waiting is in addressing the immediate needs for mercy and for care, to care for those who are hurting, to care for those who are lonely. It's what drives our Alden team every Sunday to be there with dear people towards the end of their life, often lonely, and yet giving them dignity and giving them care and compassion. It's part of what drives us towards one another when we're in times of need, and so we pray these prayer requests for each other, and we take them seriously, and we minister to each other within the body of Christ because we're called to help the hurting inside the body and outside the body of Christ. But also here's the bigger picture of justice, too. Jesus here is addressing and fixing those things that are hurting people. He says, setting the oppressed free. We use the analogy sometimes of somebody's sitting by the, living by the, a, a river, and each day these people get washed down the river and, and, and land on the shore there, and they're bruised and bleeding, and we take them out and we develop a ministry of compassion and mercy, and we pull them out and we patch them up and we bandage them and take care of them until somebody finally asked the question and said, who's throwing them in the river? What's going on upriver? And justice takes us upriver and says, we've got to fix what's going on up there. I was so excited. Several of us were at the Wyman banquet here uh, several weeks ago, early in November, and they have, they have come up with a, a, a program that's just amazing to me, and it, and it strikes right at the heart of the justice of God. It's right here in this circle of friends of ours, our, our friends, Wyman. We, we do worship with them next week. We did mission with them this summer in Nicaragua. These are our friends, and they are addressing some injustices in the North Lawndale neighborhood. It's a project they're calling Mission 61, named after the what Jesus just quoted, Isaiah 61, which goes on to say they will rebuild the ruined cities. (laughs) They will rebuild the ruined cities. And so Michael has put together this program because there's a very low percentage of home ownership in North Lawndale. 75% of the people in North Lawndale are renters, and the majority of the property owners uh, do not live in Lawndale, and sometimes the care for the buildings is substandard. 75% renters in Lawndale. It's a justice issue because of practices especially initiated back in the 60s and 70s. If you know your history, remember the Great Migration when thousands and thousands of African Americans came from the the far south into the northern cities and several came to Chicago. Many moved into Lawndale, which had previously been a white neighborhood. The white people moved out, the black people moved in, but were unable to purchase homes for a couple reasons. One was what's called redlining. Banks just simply said, we will not loan money to buy homes in that neighborhood, and they drew a red line around the neighborhood. More complex than that, but that's enough of 
to know what was going on. There was another whole system, what was called contract buying of homes, where African Americans could buy a home but was on a contract. It wasn't a mortgage, and it ended up the contracts were often very discriminatory and even predatory, where exorbitant rates of interest, one missed payment could result in eviction. There's a very compelling video that Michael showed. It's too long to show in worship. It's not a worshipful video. It's an information one. I'll be happy to send you the link if you're interested. But what I want to get at is the issue of addressing an injustice in that neighborhood. So what Michael is doing is he's trying to increase homeownership because increased homeownership leads to community stabilization. In fact, right in Lawndale and other places in Chicago, owner-occupied blocks have significantly lower rates of street crime, drug crime, and gang activity. Owner-occupied blocks, less crime. So the plan is those who have gone all the way through the Wyman program, who have come in as young people, gone through junior high, high school, they've been ready for college, they've received scholarships, gone to college. Several of them come back into the neighborhood to live and make a difference. And the plan is for them to be able to own a home. So Wyman is buying, they're starting with one three-flat, They've raised the money to renovate it. The money was raised at that banquet. And then three Y-men families who are now back working in the neighborhood will buy those and pay, pay off two Y-men, and that money will be used to buy the next building. This program then is, and uh, um, here's what Michael says about it. He says, you know the phrase, give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he will eat for a And then Michael says, but who owns the pond? Who owns the pond? And they're gradually going to try to buy more and more of the pond so that these people will be empowered and that neighborhood will turn around. But it's addressing some old injustices that are still stubborn and still in place. That's justice work right here in our own sphere of influence. Who owns the pond? Compassionate justice and positive change. Helping the hurting, but also one of the priorities of Christ is that we are to be finding the lost. We cannot lose our connection to evangelism as a church. Sometimes we find it easier to do mission projects and not do evangelism. But missional living is much more than projects. It's the mission of God. It's kingdom work. God wants the kingdom bigger too. He doesn't want it just more just. He wants more people in the kingdom. Helping people who are far away from God must be our priority too. Jesus made it clear in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. We need to revisit and reclaim the truth that people need Jesus. Do we really believe that people are ultimately lost without Jesus? I do. And that ought to motivate us in this active time of waiting. That's not right. That's not right. (laughs) It's part of what's not all right. We make a kingdom difference by making the kingdom bigger, by inviting others in, one by one as we build relationships of trust and love and eventually share the good news of Jesus. We must grow in this awareness and activity as a church. I'm committed to grow in this area. I'm making it a fervent part of my learning, study, and praying now so that I'm just stand here and talk about it, but I'm doing it, and I'll let you know. But a third part of our act of waiting in this time of not all right is the healing of divisions. And that's the whole issue of racial, racial righteousness. There's so much that's not right here right now. I'm, I'm troubled personally that part of my privilege as a white person is that I don't have to think about it all the time. But as a follower of Christ, I'm finding more and more that I can't not address it. There are no easy answers, and we can't just wait. 
but the answers have something to do with the gospel. The answers have something to do with the dignity of each person created in the image of God. The answer has something to do with God's desire that all of his people, his creation, flourishes. And it may even have something to do with worshiping together as in the vision in John in Revelation. They didn't just show up for a rally. They were worshiping together as people of different tribes, tongues, and nations. I want to pursue this more in this time of active waiting too. And I know that some of you are on board with me and some of you think you should be on board with me and some of you wish I wouldn't bring it up. (laughs) We'll talk more. (laughs) Healing divisions. It's not all right. Everything will be all right in the end and if it's not all right, it is not yet the end. Which brings us finally to Jesus and our need to stay connected to him. Connected to Jesus because it is not yet the end. Our connection to Jesus is vital. We know that it's vital in this season to survive, if you will, and to thrive through the Christmas season. As Christians, we enter this time of year every year and say, I'm going to try to keep Jesus central. I'm not going to get overwhelmed by the culture and the commercialism. We get a little overwhelmed anyway, don't we? So I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, but let's just do whatever you need to do to stay connected to Jesus. Be aware of the things that pull you away from enjoying him. Be aware of the things that sabotage our schedule sometimes and make sure you put a little boundary around it and connect with the one who's going to make everything all right. Another way we stay connected to Jesus is something we do as a ritual and a sacrament given to us by Jesus himself is the Lord's Supper. Do you remember that part when I say, and I'll say it in just a couple minutes, when we say, whenever you eat, Jesus says, whenever you eat this, actually it's Paul speaking of Jesus where it says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And from that, we take that we are to keep doing communion. Baptism happens once as a sacrament. Communion happens over and over again. And you're from different traditions. You know, in some traditions, the sacrament is shared every time you gather for worship. If you've grown up Catholic, Mass means communion. I grew up in a tradition in the Methodist Church, I think it was three or four times a year that we took communion. And here in the Evangelical Covenant Church, we don't necessarily say it's the right way, but we've decided mm, once a month. And generally we'll do it the first of the month. And so that's what we do. But we're obeying this command of doing it regularly to remind ourselves who Jesus is and what he has called us to do and who he's called us to be. And it's a way of saying we're not at the end yet because Jesus hasn't come back. Keep doing this. Keep connected to me. Keep staying in touch with the things that aren't all right. Keep staying in touch with who I am. Keep growing in me. Keep following me. Challenge yourself. Don't just sit back and wait for that great day at the end. It will be okay. But stay connected to me now. As long as we're not at the end yet, we continue to celebrate Jesus Thank him for his sacrifice and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. We love your word when it makes us feel good and gives us great hope. And we even love your word, Lord, when it brings a challenge. But we confess sometimes it troubles us. When it reminds us over and over again that things are not all right. And that you want us to do something about it. Lord, now as we prepare for the table, we ask that we would be reminded it's not the end. 
And there's great hope in staying connected to you and making a difference in this world around us. Keep us in that place of active waiting, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.